you know, we're, we're centered in Christ. Our life is built upon the foundation of Christ. And, um, and yet we live in a world and in a society and a culture where people don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord. Uh, there's a lot of people that don't. We assume that uh, Christmas is automatically in people's mind a celebration of Christ. And I would tell you, I think that there are a lot of folks today that Christmas is a lot of things to them, but I'm not sure that Christ is central in their thinking. And, uh, you know, when I talk about this this morning, I'm not, I'm not making indictments. I'm not, I'm not bashing anybody. I'm just saying as we think about Christmas, um, why would we expect those who don't know Jesus to make him center of their Christmas celebration? Why would someone do that? If you're not, you don't know Christ as your Savior, you just have this surface knowledge that, of who Jesus Christ is. And, you know, and then we think about Christmas. It's so many different things to so many different people. And, and as Christians, sometimes we get, I don't know, we get a little upset because we feel like Jesus has been pushed out of Christmas. But I want to say to you today, I think our challenge is a little different than maybe what we see it. You know, we don't have an assignment to rid Christmas of Santa Claus. We don't have an assignment from God to rid the world of all of the traditions and things that they are doing that aren't focused and centered upon Christ. That's not our mission. Our mission is to represent Jesus to the world to be an ambassador for him, to love people with the love of Christ. You know, so I remember years ago, we, we had um, uh, a family complain uh, at the church. That's hard to believe that people complain, right? It doesn't happen that often. Uh, but uh, anyhow, this, this family, they had called in and said they were upset because someone... Um, in church and in the Sunday school had told their kids that Santa Claus was really Satan Claus. (laughs) And so, uh, you know, I I took a little survey of who that might have been. There weren't that many, so I just did. And this one gentleman said, oh, yeah, those college kids that you have coming out here, they're telling these people that it's told the kids that it was uh, Satan Claus and not Santa Claus. So I inquired a little more and found out, and I, and I said, obviously, you, you know, that don't do that again, ever. You know, if you do that in your own time, on your own, you do that somewhere else, that's fine. But when people come in here as families, that's not our mission, And so what happened was I found out it wasn't the Bible students. It was the man who told me it was the Bible students. And so, uh, but I just said to him, I said, you know, that's not how we reach people. You know, demonizing the things that people do doesn't really reach them. Now, sin is sin, I understand that, and I know that there are things that happen in, in, in and around us that need to be spoken to and sometimes called out, but as Christians, Christmas really needs to be more than a celebration of Christ and then what we're against. You know, it has to be more than that. You know, in fact, um, 
our neighbors around us, you know, most of our neighbors, I can tell you this, most of our neighbors in our little community, none of them that I know of go to church. You know, their, their, their driveways are full when we leave, and they're just as full when we get home, and no one has moved, no one has stirred. And uh, so, you know, that, that presents to me a reason for living this life for Christ, They need to see and know that Jesus Christ loves them, cares for them. And, uh, you know, so we try our very best to to build relationship. I don't try to be preachy with people. There are opportunities to share the gospel. But I understand that before a lot of people will listen to one word we say, there has to be some relationship or connection formed. Because people don't generally trust the messages until they have some level of confidence in the messenger. And so, you know, they, when, when somebody tells me something, if I have any question about their credibility, anything they tell me at that point is suspect until confirmed. And when the world hears us talking about Jesus, they're going to want to see evidence They're going to want to see what it really looks like in life. They're going to see, they're going to look at you, they're going to look at me, and they're going to assess Christ based upon what they see in my life. How I respond to them, how I interact with them, how I treat my family in front of them, how I speak of others. And so, as we look at the scriptures this morning, I want to encourage you just for a few moments to think about this mission we're on. We're living in a culture that is by and large secular. I know we say we're one nation under God, but if you look at what's happening, it's really hard to imagine that that's as true as we would hope it to be. And yet that doesn't discourage me. It doesn't doesn't cause me to become uh, uh, angry with people as much as it really brings home to me that this is a spiritual conflict that requires that we live this thing as spiritually connected to Christ and as practically engaged with people as we can be. You see, the spiritual part of this is being on our, on our, on our, bowing our hearts before God and lifting up our neighbors and praying over our communities that they will, need, they will see Jesus, praying that darkness will peel away and, and the light will, will just shine. And on the practical end of it, I want to be a good neighbor. I want to be a great Uh, a resource for people to be able to look at. I want people to look at my life and see Christ in it. I I want them to see some level of consistency, and when I fail that consistency, my heart is that they would see that there's an acknowledgement that it's only by grace that we walk this thing out. So this morning we read from Luke's gospel, and we've shared this. It says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill toward men. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said one to another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. 
You know, I read that scripture, and as I've shared with you, uh, it's always amazing to me how God works among people. He chooses the people that are probably the least likely to be chosen by anyone else. You know, if you think about how God came to this earth and he wrapped himself in humanity and he revealed, he was revealed to shepherds and there were a handful of others who had waited for and longed to see the Lord and had fasted and prayed and sought the Lord and there were, there were dignitaries that came from far away to see him and yet In this story, in this particular passage, he reveals himself, he is revealed by the angel of the Lord to be in Bethlehem to some shepherds. And when you study and look at shepherds in that culture, a lot of them were very questionable as to their, uh, you know, their credibility. They weren't held in the highest levels of respect. And as I shared at the Christmas Eve, in many courts, they weren't permitted to offer testimony because they weren't believed to be credible. And yet the Lord reveals, is revealed to these shepherds and they in haste leave to go find out what they had been told about and they come and they find the Lord. And there's a lot more to this, obviously. Herod gets involved and he makes some inquiries. He sets out to uh, destroy the, uh, the Lord, as you read in, in different narratives. And so a lot of things had transpired here. God reveals himself to some shepherds. There's an earthly uh, uh, ruler who is upset by the fact that a, a, a potential rival could be born. And so I just want to back up for a moment, and I want to say when we become incensed by the secularization of the Christmas season, why would we think, and I'm going to get back to this text, why would we think that the world would seek to bring glory to a God that they don't know? Why do we think that they would worship a God they don't know? You know, so when we look around and see all of the things that happen during the Christmas season, we have to see it more as an opportunity than an obstacle. There's nothing that prevents us from glorifying God this Christmas season. I'm glad for that, that we can praise him and exalt him. And he's center not only during this particular time of the year, but he's the foundation for how I live my life. He's my first love. You know, how many of you today can say the Lord is your first love? Because all of us should be able to say that today. And you say, well, how can I love him more than I love my family? Well, here's what I think of when I think loving God first makes me, uh, uh, enables me to love my family more. To be a better husband, to be a better father, to be a better grandfather. It, it enables me to, to just grow in those capacities far beyond what I could if I didn't love him first. You know, so, but the world, Christmas is a time for, and it is for us as well, a time for family, gift giving. And by the way, I want to say thank you to all of you for your many kindnesses shown to us. Robin and I are very humbled by how gracious and kind you all are to us. But for, for a lot of people, it's about family, which it is for us, gift-giving, festivities, colorful decorations, shopping, music, traditions, lights, mirth, and gatherings. And for we as believers, Christ is central in our celebrations with, as the foundation for it, but we enjoy these things as well. 
And the difference with the world is that Jesus isn't, he's not in that equation. Because they don't know him. Because when you are saved and he becomes your redeemer and you grow in relationship with him, he can't be anything else other than central to this whole time of the year or throughout the course of the year. Where does Jesus fit in? You know, we look and we, we ponder, where does Jesus fit in to the equation of how our society celebrates this season? And we understand first and foremost that apart from Christ uh, having a personal relationship with him, he probably doesn't fit into the equation. We see the commercialized side of Christmas season. You know, we see the secularization. We see all of these different things that are fo- become focal points. And Jesus really isn't a part of it. But that just says to me that my calling is great today. That the opportunities for me to, to show and demonstrate who Christ is is of the utmost importance to all of us. Your neighbors need to see Jesus. That's why I say Jesus wants to come out of the nativity set. He wants to be more than a plastic representation to the world. He's got to be life to people who are living in death. He's got to be presented as the light In a dark world. He's got to be presented as love and grace and truth in a harsh world that is unforgiving. You know, when we we think about why people don't come to church, why would they come to church when they have lived a secular life, developed relationships in that realm and and, and have had at best a, a religious or superficial knowledge of what life in Christ is. Why would they come? Certainly the Holy Spirit draws people into the church and he does things well beyond our understanding. But why would people come? You know, my wife hunted with me one time. No, twice. Twice. If you can imagine Robin out hunting with me, I mean, she said it was because she loved me. So after the second time, she stopped loving me. And uh, we went through the woods and we walked and she had, I made her dress in orange. She looked like an orange Michelin person, man. And we were walking through the woods and, and she just would not stop talking. And she drug her feet over everything. And I said, please, lift your feet up. And uh, so we, we went out and we got to our spot. And, you know, and it just was not, a, it was not the best experience for either of us. And then, you know, she would always make known, you know, I'm praying for Bambi. And, uh, and I felt like this is counterproductive for you, for me. And so there was one other occasion that she went with me, and this was warmer, and it was during, I thought this might work better, and uh, we were archery, I was, what am I saying, we were, I was archery hunting, and she went with me, and um, you know, I got to thank the Lord, he works in mysterious ways, because when we got to our spot, she laid down and went to sleep. She got what she wanted, I got what I wanted, and we were together, and 
And uh, the thing was, we were in West Virginia, and there's rocks and big rocks and snakes and everything. And I didn't tell her that until she, you know, we were on our way out. But we were, she was laying on these rocks and, and kind of in a fetal position almost. I don't know about that, but she slept through it. So, you know, there was no interest on her part. There's no motivation for her to ever come again. She doesn't want to come again. She had a bad experience, and she has no interest in it. She didn't have any before, and she has less now. I've taken her to football games and similar experiences. Not good. And so she has no desire. There's nothing there for her. She doesn't identify with it. There's no passion for it. There's no interest. So, you know, why would people come to church? when they only sense the church is religion and it's cold and it's indifferent and it's harsh and it doesn't add anything to their lives. It doesn't transform and it doesn't change. And, you know, church, religion without Christ is that. It's cold. It's lifeless. It's not offering any more depth of hope other than it might just give people a place to connect with other people, but outside of the social parameters, and God can work through that, it really has no interest to people. And you say, well, you really shouldn't say that. No, it is, because I talk to people a lot, as maybe you do as well, and they have no interest in, in, in coming to church. Not, all, not everybody, but a lot of people because their minds are, are, are so conditioned to what they have lived and where they have lived that, you know, they have not been introduced to the Christ that we know as Savior and Lord. And so until there's something about Jesus that hits a note in their hearts, they just have no, no interest. You say, well, this is a pretty bleak outlook. No, it's really not. It's a great, what it is, is a great opportunity for you and I to be the best neighbors we can be, to be the best coworkers we can be, to be a light anywhere and everywhere we can, to be consistent in our faith, to be passionate about him. You know, we can celebrate Christ and Christmas. No one is restricting me to do that. You say, well, the world doesn't, they, they make it everything else. Why would we expect that they wouldn't? Why are we surprised by that? That there are people who see no value to what we value. It's because they don't know Jesus. America's where it is today, not because of a political party, but because of its ignorance of who God is. There are probably as many people in this nation who don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord as there are in a lot of nations that we consider to be dark. And that's a great opportunity for us. You know, you say, well, there's a lot of churches. I'm going to tell you this, and I'm going to get, I, I said 20 minutes I'd be done, so I have to be work on this in about three minutes. Um, I was in a Bible study with, with a group of people recently, and there, uh, there was uh, a man there who's a, a pastor, a retired pastor. And we're sitting there having this discussion about who Jesus is. And um, this man, he says, well, you know, when Jesus was a, he says, 
Well, he says, uh, you know, this idea that Jesus was sinless. He said when he was a child, he disobeyed his parents and he got spankings like every other kid. And I said, listen, um, I don't know where you get your information from, but, you know, and sometimes you want to be respectful and sometimes you just can't. I said, listen, you're, you're drawing that out from where? Where are you getting your information from? I said, that's not true. Jesus is the sinless son of the living God. And the Bible says he's sinless. Not sinless for a portion or a part of his life, but a sinless child, a sinless young man who gave his life for my redemption. I said, I'm not sure where you draw these, this information but, or what, what, where you're reading your commentary at or where you've gained this, but I said, I disagree with that completely. And you see, the reason I'm saying that to you, how many of you believe Jesus is the sinless Son of God? It's one of our, it's one of our tenets of faith. You know that, right? <laughs> it's one of the foundations. Jesus is sinless because if Jesus sinned at all, he would have been disqualified from the mission. And so I said, I love you. I respect you in, in some ways. But less, I didn't say this, but I thought, well, I respect you a lot less right now. Because you're a, a pastor and you're telling people that Jesus isn't sinless. You know, he has influence over people. And I've seen the influence that he, and you know, I was praying in bed the other night and maybe it was the wrong way to pray. But I said, God, silence this man. Take his voice away from speaking into the lives of other people because this is a treacherous lie. You say, well, we, we, have, all, we, have, we have things in common. I'm saying this today because we think there's so many churches around that everybody's on board with this gospel. That's not true. And we're not here to attack other churches. I'm just simply saying we live in a much darker world than what we assume and what we think. And so when we expect that everyone is going to center on Christ the way we do, then that's not going to happen. Not until they know who he is. As we close today, you know, God reveals himself and he revealed himself to his shepherds. And God is a revealer uh, to everyone. He wants to reveal himself to everyone. He wants everyone to know who he is. You know, when you live your life for Jesus, things look differently to you than they do to the world. Your values are different. Your behavior is different. And if it's not, it's probably because we're not on our faces enough before God. Anybody? If your life is no different than the world's, there's a problem. People say, well, it doesn't matter. We're all just flawed individuals. Yeah, we, we, we would be. And here's the thing. I, my, I am not. I am not who I was before I came to Christ. Church, give me a little something here. I'm not who I was before I came to Christ. 
I don't think the way I did. I'm growing in my faith and my relationship, and I give God all the credit for the transformation that he's brought in my life. He's not a benign, subtle change. He's changed my heart, changed my mind. I live differently than the way I lived before I lived in the world. And you see, so when I look at the world and they don't know the Jesus, I, I know only by grace, through faith. I have to love them. I have to pour into them. I try to find common ground with people, not build, uh, you know, take a stand on everything that goes on. Come on, you know what I mean? Your stand is the way you live. You can live in agreement with God without becoming confrontational about it. Like sending kids home because you told, and telling them that it's Satan Claus instead of Santa Claus. When you introduce them to Jesus and they find Christ, they'll begin to realize certain things as they grow in Christ. Tammy, would you come? You know, this morning, God is a revealer. He revealed himself to shepherds. He wants to be known by everyone. And until people have that revelation, you know, Herod went around to destroy you know, he, he looked for every child, every male under the age of two in alignment with the time of when he first heard about Christ, and, and he sought to destroy him. The spirit of the world is not friendly to this gospel. The spirit of this world hates the gospel. I'm not... I'm going to be honest with you here, and I'm going to confess this, and you can, we, we've got a manger scene, a nice manger scene in our yard. But I was at a, <coughs> this is terrible, and you're going to say, we need to pray for this pastor. I got a little plastic Santa Claus. I don't worship Santa Claus. I had one, we had one on our front door when I was a kid. I loved his face, his big red nose and his red cheeks and his hanging on the, the door of our house and when, every Christmas. And I saw this and it kind of reminded me of that in my childhood. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG Littlestown, Pennsylvania.